Excuse me. 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 Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Morgan Dorks. This is a bi-weekly Daria podcast where we take an in-depth look at our favorite animated teenage misanthrope episode by episode. I'm Rob Press. And I am Nissa Lee. And today we are looking at season three, episode two, The Old and the Beautiful, wherein some good old-fashioned forced volunteerism has Daria unsuccessfully reading to the elderly and taking cues from... Brittany, of all people. <laughs> this episode aired March 3rd, 1999, and it was written by Rochelle Romberg. This is her second episode, the first being See Jane Run, which currently sits at a respectable 12th in our episode rankings. I remember us really liking that episode, but also having some like glaring issues with it. Yes. Yeah. When when I see number 12, I, I'm actually kind of surprised that that's where we ranked it. <laughs> but then I remembered like, oh, yeah, like there are a lot of really good episodes above that. So I'm okay. Yeah. It gets it's it gets really tough <laughs> up toward the top of the rankings. Yes. So I'm not going to. Not going to spend a whole lot of time on it because we're just going to get straight into this thing. But I do want to uh, say hi again to everybody. Uh, hi, Rob. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and thank you all for being so patient and so supportive and so awesome uh, during the little two-month hiatus wherein I got like heart stuff taken care of. Um, everybody's heart been super stuff cool. taken care of. Yeah, yeah, you know, they cracked me open like a crab and did some things, and I've got some really cool scars now. Y'all should see them some, at some point. Um, we can take a picture and post it on our Facebook page. I'm sure <laughs> Facebook would love that. Oh, yeah, Facebook loves nipples. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I just want to thank everybody for all the well-wishing and for being super patient. Uh, I know it's kind of a pain in the ass when a podcast just, like, goes on a hiatus for a bit. But we are back on our normal schedule. We're going to be doing these every two weeks from, you know, here through <laughs> the end, hopefully. So do we want to get into our beat by beat? Yes, we do. Okay. So we open in Mr. DiMartino's class, where he's going over the historical differences between Republicans and Democrats. One wonders how such topics will be covered in, like, 20 years. Kevin and Brittany get in their trademark terrible answers, and Mr. DiMartino gets in his trademark response that would get any modern educator fired or sued before Ms. Lee bursts through the door to discuss a new volunteering opportunity, quote-unquote volunteering. She is, quote-unquote, asking each Lawndale High student to sign up for a volunteering-based extracurricular activity because 100% participation in this new statewide initiative will net her recognition from the superintendent. In the hallway at the end of the day, Jane and Daria are discussing their own beliefs with regard to volunteerism when they discover their procrastination has led to a lack of good opportunities to sign up for. 
Jane manages to slide into an arts and crafts class at the pediatric ward of a local hospital, while Daria signs up to read to senior citizens. They depart the sign-up board just in time to avoid Kevin and Brittany, who, thinking reading to seniors means hanging out with the upperclassmen, appear to be joining Daria in her volunteer efforts. They sign up, and we hear Veruca Salt's number one blind in the background. So the you're going to volunteer whether you want to or not is a plot line that we've seen a couple of times at this point. Yep. And uh, this time, Ms. Lee just does not try to hide it. I mean... No. She gave up on the subterfuge. Yeah. I mean, she starts out with like, aren't we a lucky group of (laughs) so-and-sos? She she (laughs) says so-and-sos. I don't know what the... I don't know what the term would be for a form letter that's just like <laughs> spoken. <laughs> yes. But that's what she drops on these people. Mm-hmm. It's like um, Mad Libs of Longdale yeah, High. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe we get more context for it later. Uh, actually, we do definitely get more context for it later, but... As it is at this point in the episode, it is super tough to tell if Kevin and Brittany actually think that reading to seniors means hanging out with upperclassmen. <laughs> it's it's very much like a Poe's Law kind of thing. So can you explain what Poe's Law is? Absolutely. <laughs> I was actually just pulling up the definition because I knew that we would have to uh, we would have to go over that. So Poe's Law, I'm just going to straight quote from Wikipedia because why not? Uh, Poe's Law is an adage of internet culture. Oh my God, there's a Wikipedia page for internet culture. Uh, Stating that without a clear indicator of the author's intent, it is impossible to create a parody of extreme views so obviously exaggerated that it cannot be mistaken by some readers for a sincere expression of the views being parodied. That is an awful sentence. It really is awful. Basically, it just means without knowing for certain exactly what the author is intending to say, if somebody says something extremely crazy or stupid on the internet, even in jest, there is someone out there who's going to take it completely at face value. Yeah. Yeah. So so when when you had written Poe's Law in the show notes, I had to look it up because I had no idea what it was. <laughs> and I came across that definition and I was like, huh? <laughs> I had to read it so many times. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a, it's one of those things where like, it's a pretty easy concept. It's presented in a terrible way. Yeah, well, and on this particular venue, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like they went out of their way to obscure the hell out of it. Yeah, yeah. There was, there's a lot of negatives in the sentence. <laughs> but you made it positive. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> so I'm like 98% certain that I don't know a lot of these like internet culture things because I'm not on Reddit yeah, you're better off for it. Yeah, yeah. So I shouldn't <laughs> be on Reddit or or really the internet at all, right? <laughs> I mean, nobody sh- nobody should be on the internet at all. And I say that as someone currently hosting a podcast. Uh, <laughs> it hmm. Reddit is a micro is in many ways a microcosm of the internet in that you can get a lot of really great, wonderful, adorable, or useful stuff off of it, or you can get absolute horror and sometimes the two mingle way more than they should much like in the actual internet 
but yeah, it, it's one of those things that uh, it, it German has a, a lot of words for very specific things yes. in part because that's just kind of how the German language works. Like you just slap a lot of things together and create more and more complex words. <laughs> and and so you have a lot of, you know, very specific descriptors. Like I think the, you know, probably the most popular one is Schadenfreude, right? right? Where it's like the feeling of joy that you get from watching somebody who sucks deal with something terrible. <laughs> That's a very specific feeling. Yes. <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, the the internet at large has kind of created a whole bunch of, you know, little instances of that where everybody kind of comes together and realizes that they all have felt this very specific thing at one point or another and there's no term for it. So let's go ahead and, and you know, throw some terminology on there. Make a Reddit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is probably not the terminology, but <laughs> <laughs> make a Reddit. <laughs> Guys, check it out. I made a Reddit. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not you're not really wrong. Like Okay. Just, I'm just being a dick. Sorry. <laughs> I just I just opened my heart to you, Rob. Oh wait. <laughs> well, not cool. Too soon. Uh, you know what? There's more to come. <laughs> You're welcome. Also, you pointed out that Kevin thinks the man in the yellow hat from Curious George is Charles Darwin. This is amazing. It really is. <laughs> Kevin, this is probably Kevin's best moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. And and also, I wouldn't put it past him, you know, going back to to what you were you were saying before about Poe's Law, I actually wouldn't put it past him to think that upperclassmen need volunteer readers. Like, <laughs> people need to read to the upperclassmen. <laughs> Considering the ones he's around most frequently. Yes. <laughs> but I do love uh, Jane and Daria's back and forth where Jane says, come on, you're a people person. And Daria says... Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Jane says, well, you're a person anyway. <laughs> that was a very good Daria mumble. Well, thank you. <laughs> Surprisingly accurate. Which is amazing because I am terrible, terrible, terrible at impersonations. But if there's anybody you can relate to. <laughs> it is Daria. And it is like those lines specifically. <laughs> you're a people person. Well, you're a person anyway. <laughs> this is like my dialogue with myself. <laughs> Every day. Yes. <laughs> Look in the mirror. <laughs> so so that is an amazing line by Jane Lane. Um, but I did have a bit of a cringe moment when Jane makes a comment about rounding up all the administrators and putting them out of their misery. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, is it just my brain that made a leap to the Holocaust there? <laughs> because, I mean, of the I, two of us, yes. of the two of us, yes, you were the only one but, who made that I mean, leap, I can't but... be the only one, right? I don't know. <laughs> it just seemed a little harsh. Yeah, she has some uh, 
Jane has some edge in this episode. Yes. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit more about that later too. But yeah. Yeah, she definitely, she goes for the jugular. She's a bit violent in this episode. Or at least she talks about violence a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so it's dinner time at the Morgendorfer residence and the gang is all here as Quinn announces that the fashion club has voted to collect clothes for the homeless. Later at Jane's, Daria is killing time while Jane packs her own materials for the arts and crafts class, which looks like it's going to be fucking wicked. Daria reveals that her lack of enthusiasm about her particular volunteer assignment is less about the doing of the thing and more about her insecurity about her own ability to do the thing, which is pretty on brand for Daria. Surprise, surprise, right? Yeah. So in the dinner scene, Daria is reading The Leopard, which is a novel by Giuseppe Tomasi de Lampedusa. I butchered that last name. I even have a little thing in here about how to pronounce Lampedusa. it. Lampedusa. Lampedusa. It's kind of an S and a Z, like, you know, how Italian goes. I don't know. It's it's a difficult name. Uh, <laughs> but it's about life and times in Sicily during Italian unification. Uh, it's a phenomenally important and highly acclaimed historical novel about a fascinating and turbulent time in Italian history. And right up until writing that note, I had never even heard of it. Oh, yeah. No, I've never heard of that either. <laughs> no, but that's some serious, like, dinner table reading. <laughs> yeah. Uh, such is Daria, I suppose. She is a brain, after all. True. Just a true. walking brain. <laughs> She's got those glasses to prove it. That's a good kickback to eight weeks ago when last we talked. Yes. <laughs> so similar to how we've seen this mandatory volunteering plot line a few times now, we're also now getting the quite familiar uh, Daria doesn't believe in her ability to do something plot line. Now, is it just that she doesn't think that she'll... Is it that she just doesn't think that she will read well? I'm not. And she goes into this a, a little bit later. We get the, a little bit later, we get her saying that she does, that she specifically doesn't want to quit the volunteering opportunity because she feels like she owes these people something, mm -hmm. which is a weird sentence to hear from Daria, <laughs> but it, it does make you feel like, you know, she, has a level of respect for this task that she isn't sure she can rise to in, you know, whether that's because she knows she's not a people person and she's not going to be like a ray of sunshine on an otherwise blah day for some poor senior citizen. Okay. Okay. But yeah, but then, I mean, we're going to get to her choice of reading <laughs> and... Yeah. So it kind of throws things in disarray. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like it's kind of a combination of things, probably. You know, mm -hmm. <clears throat> she has to interact with people. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, she she holds literature dear and right. she is afraid of being ridiculed, you know, whether right. for reading out loud or maybe choosing the wrong 
book, um, <laughs> which obviously, you know, we'll get She'll to face criticism does. for both of these things momentarily. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, it's just, uh, I, I, I don't know if there is respect for the elderly there. I mean, she doesn't really seem to uh give any indication about that but <laughs> no, you know but living up seen, to that yeah yeah it's and i mean we'll get into this a little bit later too but she does seem like a little upset that she does seem a little upset to see their reactions to her yeah and it's tough to tell necessarily exactly where that comes from you know yeah because it could be any number of things. Well, I suppose that, you know, she doesn't fit in in high school and she would right. hope that she fits in somewhere that's a little more mature. Right. A little more mature. <laughs> Slightly. Only a tad. <laughs> anyway, I feel like I'm projecting a lot onto Daria. I'm like really assuming a lot. <laughs> Which I try not to do, you know, I try to go with the evidence that's in the episode or what we've seen yeah. before, but I don't know. I feel like I'm just kind of reaching here. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's it's worth noting that the the reason behind Daria's words and actions during this episode, it's not necessarily clearly defined. Like we know that she's disappointed that things don't work out very well, but we're not sure exactly what the motivation for that is, even though she has conversations about it, which kind of goes back to the writing and, you know, how well was this really handled, which again, this is all stuff we can get to. <laughs> we're, we're all of like two scenes in. Right. <laughs> Boy, we just hit the ground running, yeah. didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, getting back to the uh, the scene at hand, um, Jane has yet another good line. Tomorrow we're making voodoo dolls of the hospital staff. Oh my god, I love it! My heart just exploded with love. Oops, Rob, is it too, yeah, too soon? soon? Okay. Too soon. <laughs> I really want to be in her in her class, right? On we go to the Better Days Retirement Home, where Daria arrives for her first stint as a volunteer reader with Luscious Jackson's Deep Shag playing in the background. Woo! Yeah. She immediately runs into Kevin and Brittany, who did, in fact, expect this place to be crawling with upperclassmen. Now we know. <laughs> yeah. So we then get a look into a fashion club conference call backed by Foxy Brown's hotspot, Hell Yes!, wherein Quinn has to explain the concept of clothing donation because, to reiterate, Quinn is by far the most competent member of the fashion club, and it's not even close. She digs into her closet as we cut back to the retirement home where Brittany is treating a group of old ladies to a bodice ripper, despite being unsure how to pronounce bodice. Bodice? She says bodice. Bodice. It's so great. <laughs> and Kevin is reading a comic book to a lecherous older gentleman. Uh, meanwhile, Daria is introduced to Mrs. Patterson. Things are pleasant enough until Daria starts reading because she selected Allen Ginsberg's Howl, which is a tremendous and for its time remarkably obscene three-part poem decrying American society while depicting the anguish and frustration of its youth. As you might imagine, this goes over like a lead balloon, and Mrs. Patterson is quickly reaching for the button that calls her nurse. 
Perhaps she was partially motivated by the soundtrack, which is blaring Godsmack's whatever. To give Mrs. Patterson credit, she does sit through almost the entire <laughs> She totally <poem>. does. <laughs> She's like, maybe this will pick up. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it's like up. Maybe the first couple minutes are really sad and then it becomes happy. She, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what she was waiting for. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Hal is fucking amazing. It really is. It's fantastic. If if you haven't read it, uh, you definitely owe it to yourself. You know whether or not you're American, like it's just phenomenal writing and and definitely worth looking into, um, especially for its time. Like, yeah, I mean, getting to know the historical context is also really helpful for appreciating the poem. Yeah. So there is a movie starring James Franco as Allen Ginsberg that covers Hal as a poem in both a documentary way and also it has these amazing illustrations that yeah yeah these amazing uh, like animations that illustrate the poem that help you understand it more and um the poem or the, the movie itself covers the obscenity trials um that the publishers went through when Hal came out it's so 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 interesting so i definitely recommend that movie along with the poem <laughs> While we're talking about things named Howl, also my favorite Black Rebel Motorcycle Club song. <laughs> That's for another time. All Southland right. Tales. It's a fantastic movie. I don't care what literally everybody else says. So we talk about... <laughs> I don't know why I have this note in here. What's the name for a group of old ladies? <laughs> what should be the name <laughs> for a group of old ladies? <laughs> we have a murder of crows, an ambush of tigers, a parliament of owls... What do we call? <laughs> well, there's a gaggle of geese, True. so there could be like a gaggle of, gaggle geezers. of geezers. I like it. Or I, I personally <laughs> would like a crutch of old ladies. A crutch of old ladies. I like it. I initially I had written down and then took out a suggestion: a bingo hall of old ladies. Ooh, <laughs> I really like. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, but Crutch feels much more pithy. <laughs> I like it. Well, thank you. It's one of the better th- thoughts that I've had this week. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing we're recording like two hours of thoughts. <laughs> and just to reiterate, between Howl and uh, the Leopard, Daria's reading list this week, not fucking around. No. No. Daria really does need to think about her audience, yeah, yeah. though. Probably, just a little <laughs> bit. We come back from commercial to see Quinn doing some clothes shopping that seems very much like the shopping she'd do for herself rather than for the homeless. It turns out the rest of the fashion club is doing the same thing, though, so, you know, whatever. Their trip is backed by something hot by the Afghan Whigs. Back at Better Days, Daria's given some new, less challenging reading material and introduced to Mr. Gross, who, much like the rest of the geezers in this place, appears to be smitten with Brittany. He's Brittany smitten. Daria does her best <laughs> to shut out how beloved her peers are, but her efforts to soldier on are thwarted by Mr. Gross literally pulling his own plug. He doesn't, like, die or anything, but damn, dude. The scene is backed by Cheapskate by Supergrass. God almighty. Yeah. Also, his name is Mr. Gross. Yeah. 
I mean, along with the better days uh, home. Better days retirement home. Yeah. Yes. I, there's some really good names going on in this episode. <laughs> So, yeah, we've already talked about it. We're still going to talk about it, but let's talk about it now, too. Daria's displeasure at this is is complex, and in some ways that's good, and in some ways that's bad. And, in, you know, the ways in which it's good is, you know, it's her character being complicated. In the ways that it's bad, it's that we don't really get an understanding of exactly why she's so down and out about this. But as you mentioned earlier this has to feel a little familiar. Yeah. I mean, it's my impression that this is just another instance in which, you know, the popular kids are preferred over Daria. And that just sucks. Yeah, that can't feel good. Back at the Lane residence, Daria is hanging out while Jane discusses how much she's enjoying her time at the pediatric ward. Daria expresses frustration with how closely the retirement home social structure resembles the one she already bashes her head against every day at Lawndale High, which, as we were saying. Mm -hmm. Still, she doesn't want to quit. Jane suggests Daria enlist Quinn's help, quote, perkiness tips, which she does by hanging outside Quinn's door and taking notes on one of her phone conversations. Unfortunately, despite Massive Attack's blue lines offering pleasant background music, it doesn't seem as though it's all that productive, and when Daria meets up with Jane at school the next day to discuss the plan's failure, Kevin and Brittany drop by to inadvertently rub some salt into the wound. All is not lost, however, as Brittany suggests Daria inject some pep into her voice and, in the interest of assisting those less fortunate, offers to help Daria out. Daria arrives at Brittany's to find a woman who should probably be Brittany's older sister, but is in fact her stepmother, because wealthy white men are the fucking worst. Uh, yeah. This is not the first time that we've seen Brittany's stepmother, though. We've no, saw her at, you reminded at, me of that, yeah. Yeah, we, we've seen her at the mother-daughter fashion show. Right. I commented at that time, like, just how creepy it was that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that Britney's mother or stepmother looked so much like her. <laughs> it remains creepy. And it's yes. really like driven to the forefront here in a tremendously awful way. Because Daria is disgusted by this, like the moment she realizes what's going on. <laughs> yep. When Daria goes to talk to Jane at her locker, Jane is... She's putting a bucket of industrial waste into her locker because she's planning on bringing it to the pediatric ward. It's literally a bucket that says pedi that says industrial waste. So my question is, where the hell is she getting this? <laughs> she has her ways, man. The Lane family. It, it's not even like a bucket. It's just like a. It's it's a barrel. Like it's just it's a, a steel drum barrel. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now and then there's like an episode of television that focuses almost entirely on a side character and only gives us brief glimpses into what's happening with the main characters like you can probably think of some examples from your favorite shows the one that leapt to mind for me was the zeppo from buffy the vampire slayer what little we hear about jane's time with those children in the pediatric ward and what we're getting from what i think is kind of a much less interesting a plot really has me wishing that this was one of those episodes where oh, we were yeah. focusing on Jane and seeing very little of Daria. Yep. 
I completely agree. As I said, I want to be in Jane's class. <laughs> oh, God, yes. It seems awesome. <laughs> what is she doing with that industrial waste? Nobody knows. Hmm. I'm not even sure she knows until she gets there. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about Daria for a second. <laughs> sure. Like the character. <laughs> let's let's start talking about Daria. <laughs> um so I am actually quite surprised that Daria is as willing to investigate ways to be perkier. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. In the past, you, she has expressed that she doesn't feel she should change for anybody. Mm. And here she is, you know, trying sneaking around, listening to Quinn, trying to uh, get some pointers on being more perky, and then taking lessons from Brittany as well. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a certain... So Daria being the character that she is the the complex character that she is there are there are aspects of her that we really adore right so there's there is a principled nature to her that is kind of double-sided right there's the i have my principles and those are my principles and nobody's going to shake me from those and that's how that goes aspect of her that we really like and then there's the i volunteered for this i signed up for this i'm going to go through with it that's that's being principled, you know, that's but it is it is weird because it's not like she I mean, we'll we'll talk about it a little bit in the cultural context, but like mandatory volunteerism is not volunteerism. <laughs> and and Daria it would feel like Daria would have a problem with that or would at the very least be a little bit less attached to this volunteering opportunity. Right, because they they write off that um, that first point that you made um, in the beginning, in like you know scene two or whatever, when when Jane and Daria are talking um, about their objections to mandatory <laughs> volunteerism. So they address that issue um, and get it out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I I do think that she would be less attached or at least, I, I don't know. It, it just seems like, you know, you know what it is. It's like when <laughs> she, um, it's like when she had read the book already in class mm -hmm. and she tells the teacher that she's already read the book. There was the books of on the being list. Like, oh, hey, cool. Yeah, yeah. She's like, no, give me more work, and now she's giving herself <laughs> more work. Yeah, she's uh, she's making this actively unpleasant for herself. Yeah, but in the interest of making it more actively pleasant for the people that she's reading for, which I mean, we know she's she is a misanthrope, but she's not a she's not a bad person. Right. And she doesn't like go out of her way to actively hurt people. Right. And so it, it's this weird sort of mix of like, does she want to succeed at this because she doesn't want to be bad at it? Or does she want to succeed at it because she legitimately wants to make old people happy, you know, slash fulfill her obligation, you know, to its its greatest extent? And we, yeah, we really don't 
get many answers on that front. I think we'll never know what's going on beneath that helmet of hair. (laughs) Yeah, this is one of those episodes where, like, we get to have a lot of very interesting discussion about Daria as a character, but we also aren't quite given enough to, like, reach an actual conclusion about her motivations. Yeah. Uh, And that's a little little frustrating. And it also leads to us just kind of, like, running in circles with stuff. That's something I pin on the writing. Like, this is a little bit of a frustrating episode for that reason. But anyway. Moving on. So Brittany introduces Daria to her stepmother, who, yeah, uh, bless her heart. Uh, She also introduces Daria to her father, who is exactly who you expect him to be. In the span of a few seconds, he, one, tries to get her into a cosmetics focus group, Two, reveals the cosmetics are tested on cats. Three, describes Britney's stepmother as, quote, a knockout when she was young. And four, talks about golfing with Gerald Ford at Pebble Beach. So that's him. (laughs) We cut over to the fashion club who are walking with a suspiciously empty looking box of clothing donations and actively ignoring a homeless person asking for change. They're going from place to place looking for donations, but they appear to be getting a little too selective. Back at the Taylor residence, Brittany's trying to teach Daria how to be peppier. Apparently, it involves making every sentence sound like a question, and Daria inquires about that signature Brittany squeak, only to find that Brittany's unaware of its existence. Because, of course. That is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It's wonderful, yeah. What squeak? Um... I should actually yeah. probably just play that clip. It's pretty good. Yes, please do. Okay, so one like method or whatever to make your voice sound more cheery is to end each sentence as if you're asking a question, because then you sound like perky. The rain in Spain stays mainly on the plane. Hmm, okay. That didn't work either. What about that squeak you do? What squeak? Very early on in Morgendorks, like within the first episode or two, I talked pretty briefly about how Britney's voice transforms a ton as the show develops. I'm not, you know, it's probably pretty clear already that I'm not wild about this volunteering plotline, but I love Britney teaching Daria how to be peppy. And I love that part of that is focusing on just what a crazy thing her voice has become. You know... She's trying so hard. <laughs> she is. She is. She's being genuinely trying to help Daria. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, eventually she's just like, I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> but I really give her credit. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's that you know, again, we get to you know, frequently Kevin and Brittany are portrayed as I mean they're they're portrayed as as dumbasses but they're not bad people <laughs> like they have good hearts they're just yeah. kind of you know they're doing they're doing what they know how to do and this is such a great example yeah and it's awesome yeah. that you know in in even though Brittany has succeeded so tremendously at reading to the elderly this in its own way as she mentions is more volunteerism, <laughs> more helping the people who need to be helped. Yep. And it's totally, you know, she has taken it upon herself, you know? <laughs> so good on Brittany. Yeah, it's so good. 
Also, I'm starting to wonder if the vocal fry trend among women is a direct reaction to Britney's upspeak. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. <laughs> I feel like there's got to be a paper on that somewhere. Oh, man. That's a whole cultural context just waiting to happen. Yeah. Oh, missed opportunity. (laughs) Uh, So we briefly jump back over to the fashion club, 75% of which is still not getting this whole donating to the homeless thing before we return to Brittany's room, where she finally gives up on trying to make Daria sound like her. So... Daria's going to have to find a new dream. (laughs) Back to the fashion club plotline we go. It turns out that empty looking box is in fact empty. And Quinn thinks maybe the group shouldn't have been so picky. They agree that they'll lower their standards a bit. Just in time for the door to open at the house they're currently canvassing. Revealing the overweight lady who Daria and Jane almost murdered. (laughs) And who we last saw in that was then this is dumb. It turns out she's still looking to buy some chocolate. So that's a nice callback. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah. She got a new house. Good for How her. Did, I that's amazing that you could tell. It's I think it was paid for with uh the slightly larger animation budget. But, <laughs> uh but yeah, it's it's got like a, a porch and everything now. I don't think the old house had that. I can go back and check. I could be totally wrong about this, but Do you think that there's still a watermelon by her door? I was just about to say, we don't get to see the inside, but I'm really (laughs) curious. (laughs) So I I guess this fashion club thing is our B-plot, right? Yes. I would love to be able to say that Jane's class is is a B-plot, but we definitely don't see anywhere near enough of it. And we focus a fair amount on Quinn's, uh, Quinn's group. It's also really not good. It's kind of the same thing. Over and over, right? Like, yeah, they don't understand volunteerism. That's the that's the joke, and it's the same joke over and over. Yeah, it, I mean, there there is a little bit of a build. Um, no, no, there's not. I think the <laughs> the height of it is when they just completely ignore the homeless person begging for change. <laughs> it's it's pretty bad. It is It is a pretty wicked joke. Yeah. Again, there's a little bit of edge to this episode. Yeah, there's some bite. <laughs> um, I mean, like, that, that was a really good moment. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, they just, they just keep not understanding how donations work. And yeah. the, the fact that they, like, go and basically get makeovers while they're trying to also buy clothes for the homeless is yeah it's funny but i mean it's it's entertaining it's 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 not actively bad it's just not particularly good either and with how often we switch back and forth between like that and what daria is doing you would just kind of hope that there's a little bit more there and and it also makes Quinn look pretty ineffectual. She clearly has a better idea than any of them as to what they should be doing. And she's just kind of getting browbeaten by the other three of them into going along with this very clearly not great effort to pull in clothing donations for the homeless. So all of that is, is I don't know, it's kind of a bummer. Yes. 
I sound so much more down on this episode than I am. Like, I don't think it's an awful episode, but it, there's there are aspects of it, especially in talking it out, that I'm finding less and less enjoyable. I mean, why not go with Jane Lane for the B-plot? Like, oh my God. come on. God. So, Daria finds herself at the Morgendorfer kitchen table practicing her bodice ripper reading technique on the houseplant in the corner to the tune of Heart and Shoulder by Heather Nova. The houseplant's reaction is understated. At the retirement home, the nurse pairs Daria up with Mrs. Blaine, who, it turns out, is completely deaf. This is the last straw for Daria, who vents her frustrations and gets ready to leave until she's stopped by Mrs. Blaine, who insists on hearing more. Over at a Lawndale High Assembly, Mrs. Lee, or Ms. Lee is stoked about her school's 100% participation rate and the attention it got her. She calls to the stage Brittany and Kevin, who are acknowledged as the most successful volunteers. She also calls to the stage the Fashion Club, who offer up everything they collected for the homeless, a pair of go-go boots and a belly chain. It somehow works out for them. <laughs> Later at Jane's locker, it's revealed she got booted out of her volunteering opportunity in the pediatric ward because her projects were getting a little too outlandish. Surprise, surprise. Jane offers to hang out after school, but Daria says she's got a previous engagement, reading her latest Melody Powers piece to Mrs. Blaine back at the retirement home. And we roll credits to the Foo Fighters' new way home. Yes. For all my issues with this episode up to these last couple minutes, I do actually really like these last couple minutes. Yeah, um, I... <sighs> Of where to begin. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think uh, Brittany and Kevin getting acknowledged as the most successful volunteers is really not all that surprising. Mrs. Lee being stoked about the uh, participation rate and the plaque that it got her, like the little letter from the superintendent or whatever. With a little flirtatious uh, yeah, note in there. totally. A very special lady. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's all, that's all pretty predictable. Um, the fashion club, I think the, while I did not at all enjoy the B plot with them, I did enjoy the fact that they offered up a box with just a pair of go-go boots and a belly chain. <laughs> There's something really fantastic about that. And I do love that Daria ends the episode, you know, willingly at the uh, the retirement home and happily reading to someone and reading a Melody Powers novel. Right. I wonder how much of it is that she genuinely feels like she is doing good or that she has found an opportunity to test out her material <laughs> and she's not going to squander it. <laughs> Look, these Melody Powers pieces, you got, you can only trust them to a select few. <laughs> so Melody Powers is, of course, the uh, femme fatale character that we were first introduced to and last introduced to in uh, Cafe Disaffecto. So all of like four episodes into the series, it was the piece that she read at the end of that episode and accidentally started a socialist riot, if yes. I remember correctly. <laughs> 
easily one of my favorite scenes in the first couple seasons of Daria, and I love seeing it here. Yet again, it's totally on point. It's just fantastically done. I would totally read Melody Powers novels. Oh my god, right? The snippets we've gotten have been incredible. Do you think there's Melody Powers fan fiction? Oh man. (gasps) I don't know if that's a door we want to open. Open that door. (laughs) (laughs) I want to open that door. (laughs) Be right back, Googling. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think my computer could take it. Uh, So you pointed out that like the major difference between the elderly folks and, you know, the people that Daria has to deal with every single day at high school is the people at high school have like some tact, right? some courtesy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, at least, at least, you know, Kevin and Brittany talk to Daria like she is a human being. Whereas when Daria walks in the door of the retirement home, like these these geezers are like trying to climb out of their seats and run away. (laughs) And I only call them geezers because they're being really mean. (laughs) So it's fair. Yeah. They started it. They started it. Belly chain. Belly chain. Late 90s. Mm-hmm. How's it going? Yeah. We've already had a, a, a cultural context on belly button piercing. Right. I don't think I had a belly chain either. No no belly button piercing, no belly chain. <sighs> I know. I totally am not hip. <laughs> <laughs> Was not hip, am not hip. Don't have a Reddit, you know. Have have no plans to be hip. <laughs> Speaking of hip, Jane Lane. Yeah. Woo. Oh, Jane. Oh, Jane. <laughs> the mural depicting a scalping. Wow. <laughs> In a pediatric ward. In a pediatric ward, yes. Yeah. I, I love it. Again, if this episode focused more on her exploits... It would be a better episode for it. Hopefully, anyway. You know, maybe part of the allure is that we don't see most of what goes on there. Yeah, but... that that probably is a big part of it. Yeah. Um. And and if she were the B plot, then whatever Jane learns and experiences at at the pediatric ward is going to have to feed into what Daria is learning. Mm-hmm. Um. Because they're symbiotic like that, but apparently when <laughs> when when Quinn is the B plot, they don't have to meet at all <laughs> at some crossroads. <laughs> yeah, there really is no connection between the two, is there? I'm struggling to see one, honestly. Yeah, like I mean, there's there's basically no Daria and Quinn interaction whatsoever. Right. And I mean, not that there has to be, but it would help. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if so, so clearly with the B plot, these girls are trying to understand the people they're serving, but they're way off the mark. 
Yeah. Um, whereas with Daria, I I don't know. I mean, like they that it's not a similar experience at all. I mean, both the I suppose we could say both the A plot and the B plot focus on a person or a group of people. Uh, Daria uh, and the Fashion Club, yes, respectively. So that that's accurate um, so far. It's yeah. <laughs> both of them focus on individuals. Uh, there are characters in each, um, but the the central issue for each of those characters is that they are pretty bad at volunteering for different reasons. The fashion club is mostly too self-absorbed and too unaware, too kind of clueless about, you know, the homeless in general to actually contribute anything Mm -hmm. of worth. Uh, And then they go and in fact do things to better themselves like superficially instead of trying to better themselves on a, on a fundamental level. And meanwhile, Daria recognizes that she's not great at this volunteering thing. And, you know, that it's, it's a fear she had from the very beginning of the episode. Uh, she recognizes that she's not very good at it and she seeks to better herself. But she also fails at that. So. Right. Again, the suspicion that she's really continuing to to volunteer you know, just to test out her material is it's a strong one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's fair. I do think I do think that the the moment where Mrs Mrs Blaine, right? Yeah, where Mrs Blaine reaches out and says, "No, stay. I want to hear some more." Yes, she's deaf. <laughs> yes, we recognize that this is inherently ridiculous and Of course, this is the only person who would be willing to sit and listen to Daria read to them is a person who can't hear it. But but it is kind of a touching moment. Yeah. Like, it's the first human connection that Daria's made in this place. And her reaction to it is also pretty good. Like, she, she seems genuinely surprised. And we get, like, a split second of her just kind of pause. Like, oh, shit. Okay. Like... I feel like there's something there, I but I also feel like, as you're alluding to, it's it's really kind of, it's not helped by the fact that Daria's motivations throughout this entire episode have seemed kind of bonkers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at at the core, every every effort to volunteer here is is driven by self interest. Yeah. And this is something we'll talk about later, I suppose. But um, I mean, like Miss Lee, the Fashion Club, Daria, Jane, like they are all choosing to do things that fit that are in their wheelhouse, you know. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, that will make them look good, supposedly, you know. Um, and no, make them look good or make them move as little out of their comfort zone as possible. Yes. Yes. Can we say something about, you know, that age group? I don't know. Or or just like volunteering <laughs> in America, you know? <laughs> well. Is this is this pretty typical? <laughs> anyway, I'm getting ahead. I have a cultural context for you. Yes. Yes. 
Do we have anything else to to note about this episode? Uh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Daria, uh, towards the end, says, uh, they may be shallow, but that doesn't mean they should be executed. And Jane says, yes, it does. (laughs) Like, wow. Round up the administrators and put them out of their misery. (laughs) Execute. The was it the fashion club? Oh my God, Jane is just she's got some anger. <laughs> yeah, Rochelle Romberg has a very specific vision for Jane, yes. <laughs> and and it's kind of awesome. <laughs> Ooh, that that and the scalping. Whoa. <laughs> she has a very Rochelle Romberg has a very specific vision for Jane, and it's Jane by way of gritty. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, all right. I got to mention Gritty, so we're good. Uh, we have talked about Gritty before, haven't we? Probably. I hope so. I think recently we did. Oh, man. I feel like I have to go back and like check old episode notes and stuff because it's been two months, so I'm kind of like... I'm just saying we don't need to explain Gritty, right? No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, how can you? No, you can't explain gritty. Gritty. You can only experience gritty. Oh boy. <laughs> there are entire swaths of our listenership that have no idea what <laughs> they're going just on. like There's like all right, cool. They're totally lost. <laughs> so glad I waited two months for this. <laughs> just Google it, guys. Yeah, please. Google gritty. Just do an image search first. You'll appreciate it. All right. Do we want to get into our cultural context? Yes. Okay. All right. Let me clear my throat. <clears> throat> Let me clear my throat. Let's make a song. Let me clear my throat. <laughs> That's, that, was, that was done. That was Wyclef Jean and the Ouija's. <laughs> no, the Bee Gees, not the Ouija's. The Ouija's. The Ouija's. Like a Ouija board? <laughs> Wow. I was about to say the Ouija's is what the Bee Gees became after the bottom <laughs> fell out and they all had to go like start cleaning car windshields on the corner. But that would in that fact be the squeegees. <laughs> the Ouija's is in fact the group that runs the, the, the cult board contact the dead thing. Yeah. That's the worst description of a Ouija board that's <laughs> ever been put to tape. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> also, this isn't being put to tape. Holy shit. Start reading the cultural context. I need to shut up. You're so old. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get this onto the eight track. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Cultural context. As we mentioned in the Beat by Beat, this is far from the first time we've dealt with the mandatory volunteerism plotline. Part of the motivation behind that probably centers around the fact that when you show stars a misanthrope who would much rather be at home reading books, like me, uh, there are only so (laughs) many ways you can coax them out of their element. Uh, Part of it, however, is based in reality. American public schools have frequently tested the waters with requiring some amount of community service of their students. And the arguments for such programs are 
generally predictable. For many teenagers, the prospect of volunteering to feed the homeless or, say, read to the elderly might be wildly foreign. So requiring it of them ensures that they give back to the community in one form or another, and some fraction of them may in fact stick with it well after their hour requirement is fulfilled. The arguments against these programs are also generally pretty predictable. If you're making something mandatory, it's not really volunteerism, and some fraction of students could very well end up resenting said work. Numerous studies on the subject have been conducted with varying results, in part because the programs implemented differ greatly from location to location. And and that's out of necessity. Uh, the community needs and youth volunteering opportunities in Fargo, North Dakota are probably very different from those in Miami, Florida. Regardless of what those programs might entail, though, youth across the country were in the late 90s and early 2000s anyway, generally opposed to making volunteerism and community service a requirement for high school graduation. At two... A 2002 survey sponsored jointly by the Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement, um, or CIRCLE, you know, because their acronym game is tight, (laughs) Um, and the Council for Excellence in Government found students from the age of 15 to 17 were by a nearly two-to-one count against the concept. Surprise, surprise! Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But it's worth noting that the majority of this same age group approved of making civics and government classes a requirement for a high school diploma. So theoretically, it's not like they didn't give a shit, it's just that they didn't want to be forced to volunteer. It's also worth noting that mandatory volunteerism programs are largely a product of the late 80s and early 90s. According to a 2006 report from the Corporation for National and Community Service, the teenage volunteerism rate in 1989 was 13.4%. In response, lawmakers put together two key pieces of legislation, 1990's National and Community Service Act and 1993's National and Community Trust Act, to boost volunteerism rates among teenagers by offering federal grants to communities that established youth service programs. The result is that according to that same report from the Corporation for National and Community Service, by 2005, the percentage of volunteering teenagers had more than doubled, from 13.4% to 28.4%. The same report goes on to note, however, that while the teenage volunteering rate had increased significantly over that span, the majority of teenagers were still primarily interested in episodic volunteering, uh, which is defined by the report as being 99 or fewer hours a year. So while the 90s saw an increase in the number of teenagers volunteering, forcibly or otherwise, uh, most of those teenagers were likely not doing a whole lot more than what was required of them. Hmm. Yeah, it's... So this was... You know, I feel like I say this almost every week, but this was one of those cultural contexts that could have been like pages upon pages upon pages <laughs> because there's just so much research on this and there's so many, you know, none of it really settles upon anything particularly concrete. Like there's plenty of evidence that getting teenagers to volunteer creates 
you know, quote unquote, a better citizen, you know, like someone who is more engaged and is more conscious of what their community needs. But there's also plenty of evidence to support it not really doing a whole lot (laughs) and actually like turning people off to the idea of volunteerism because holy shit, why would I want to be reading to the elderly? I'm 16 years old. There's a there's an article from the New York Times by Stuart Ain. It was it was published in March of 2003. Uh, it was called "The Logic of Mandatory Volunteerism." I'm gonna link that in the show notes. I'm not gonna bother summarizing it here, but it does a neat job of looking at kind of both sides of the issue, uh, especially you know from back in 2003 when uh, you know the teenage volunteerism rate was, as we mentioned, significantly higher than it was only. 15 or so years before. Uh, so it's definitely worth checking that out if you want to get a little bit more information about it. You know, it wasn't mandatory to volunteer in order to graduate at my high school, but if you were involved in any kind of extracurricular activity, you were required to volunteer for something. So Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, hmm. well, I mean, maybe except sports perhaps. I can't really remember if I had to volunteer for something when I was in soccer, but um, but you know, if you were in, you know, honor society or you know, drama club or something like that, there was right. some, there was always some kind of volunteer element to it. Huh. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I was in newspaper. We didn't volunteer for anything. (laughs) Newspaper in and of itself was a volunteer project. Right. So do we want to rank this episode? I suppose so. Yeah. Oh, boy. I feel like I typically roll into the ranking with like some idea of what i'm thinking i have nothing here oh boy okay yeah well um shall we compare it to a summer's day no i mean (laughs) (laughs) yes yes we shall it's worse shall shall we compare it to another um mandatory volunteering episode okay so then we're i mean we're looking at cafe disaffecto there this is definitely not as good as cafe disaffecto right we're also looking at fair enough. Fair, fair enough. Um, and arts and crafts, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think this approach is arts and crafts either. So, what about fair enough? Where do we have fair enough? Well, we have fair enough at number thirteen, right after Rochelle Romberg's oh. C. Jane Run. Mm. I mean, I really enjoyed fair enough. I, I remember yeah, really I mean, it's, enjoying it's, it. It's number thirteen. Yeah, we, yeah. We got a we got a lot of good out of that. Like, I forget exactly what where I said the line was where I start considering episodes to be not so great. There are aspects of this episode that I do enjoy, but I've talked a lot of shit about it in the last hour and twenty minutes. Yeah, you know, I came into this episode thinking, "Oh, this is a pretty enjoyable episode." It's okay, of Daria, um, but. You know, when you pointed out just how weak the B-plot was and how, yeah, we would much prefer 
Jane to be in that B plot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I can't help but imagine what that would be like. And I, yeah, I just really don't feel like the stories converge in a way yeah. that they could. Like, you know, um, thematically speaking, you know, it could have done a lot more work. Yeah. So I'm looking down toward, man, this feel this feels unnecessarily harsh, but I'm also like, it's, it's what I'm feeling. So <laughs> I'm going to feel my feelings. <laughs> feel your feelings, Rob. Yeah. I, Can I call you Tin Man from now on? <laughs> sure. 100%. Awesome. How long have you been holding on to that one? Actually, I just thought of it. <laughs> Two months. Thanks. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking down toward like Maul, this year's model, ill. So like 16, 17, 18. Okay. I don't think that's harsh. I might actually almost. Mm. So I don't have any super cohesive argument to put it in this specific place, but this is just kind of what I'm feeling. I would probably put it below this year's model and above ill. So it would be the new number 18. I can't even remember what ill is about. So Daria gets this like suspicious rash. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. There's some really good moments in that. There is. Yeah. Hmm. But it also like it. I totally forget how it ended up that low on the list, but. Okay. So mauled this year's model. Those two always stand out to me because those are two episodes where they had entertaining bits and pieces, but they were also fundamentally flawed or downright problematic. Right. Um, but Mald was fairly cohesive, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah. Actually, this year's model kind of was too. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. So again, it, it feels like it feels a little harsh, but I think the argument for putting it down between this year's model and ill would be that while it isn't as like it doesn't necessarily have the problematic elements that we see in you know mauled in this year's model but it does have a pretty substantial disconnect between the a plot and the b plot it does kind of muddy the waters with regard to exactly what the hell daria's motivation is man that's that's a big deal yeah, that's not nothing because that is your A plot. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's where I see it and I am more than happy to hear arguments to the contrary. I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> I really have no idea where to put it. <laughs> 2 months has not made the episode ragging process any easier for one Nissa Lee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so yeah i guess that means through a lens darkly ends up sitting or not through jesus christ <laughs> copied and pasted i'm an idiot um so <laughs> that means the old and the beautiful nice little pun for a uh for an episode title by the way they stepped away from those for a little bit that's all right <laughs> official pun judge says yeah it's okay <laughs> So that leaves the old and the beautiful sitting at number 18 directly below this year's model and directly above ill. All right. Extremely tenuous and not not very well argued episode ranking. <laughs>
Not scientific at all. (laughs) No, not even remotely. So I guess that about wraps it up, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, So we have in the two months that we were off, we got uh, two new patrons over on our Patreon. So I want to give a big old shout out and welcome to uh, Arthur Carlisle and Jonathan Murphy. Actually, Jonathan Murphy might be an older one. I don't know. Um, I'll have to check that again. I think he also tried to contact us about a fan fiction project. So we'll see about that. Oh. Anyway, yeah. I hope it's Melody Powers. It is not Melody Powers. It is... It is pretty hardcore, though. There's, oh, um, that's that's not a great choice of words. No, that's not a great choice of words. Or maybe it is. I don't know. I haven't I haven't been able to go through it super super uh, super in in super detailed fashion. But are you um, blushing, Rob? I don't know. Probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's something we'll have to discuss offline. Uh, anyway. Uh, that about wraps it up for this episode of Morgan Dorks. Uh, as we were just talking about, you can check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash Morgan Dorks. Uh, as always, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at Morgan Dorks. Email us at morgandorks at gmail.com or check out our website, morgandorks.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. And we are also on Facebook. So just search for Morgan Dorks because the actual URL is ridiculously long. Uh, special thanks, as always, to Outpost Daria Reborn. Link is in the show notes. For some reason, I was terrified that that website would just like go down in the two months that we were off. <laughs> I got to tell you, folks, that that website goes down. Morgan Dorks is in trouble. <laughs> There's a lot of information it is our on there. Rock. Yeah, there's a lot of information on there that's really hard to find anywhere else. Just in terms of like, who wrote the episodes? When did they premiere stuff? I don't know. You can probably find it on IMDb, but that... But it's all in one place there. Yeah, it's all in one place and it's so helpful. Uh, Anyway, as always, thank you so much, Nissa. Hey, Rob. Thank you. (laughs) And thank you, listeners. We will see you again in two weeks for Season 3, Episode 3, Depth Takes a Holiday. I am real interested to see how that episode goes. Here on Morgan Dorks. Woo! Woo.